Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four. We started this program to tell our adoption stories and all that we went through, the highs, the lows, and all it took to finalize on four children. We now tell stories from all over the world. If you go to adoption-now.com, you can hear those podcasts. We share stories from the perspective of the birth parent, adoptee, and adoptive parents. We started a new blog called Adoption Is. You can find that on our website as well. And we started Saturday Suggestions, yay, on Instagram to help you on your adoption journey. So check us out there, like us, follow us, and review us on iTunes. We would love it. Okay, so today this story is amazing. Get your Kleenex box out. This woman has inspired me to think very seriously about adoption from India. The story comes from Tennessee. Nelia Canfield joins the show. Hi, Nelia. Hi, April. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm excited. Thank you for applying and listening to our podcast. Yes, I have actually listened to all of your podcasts because they're so good. I kind of went on a little marathon listening to them and I've just learned so much. I love them. Oh my gosh, I love hearing that. That means a lot to me. (laughs) It means a lot that somebody would listen to one, but it means even more when they listen to all of them. And so that means that you know as much as I know. (laughs) Yes, I do. I probably know more about you than you think. (laughs) That's true. When we were talking and doing our pre-interview, you started talking to me about my life. And I was like, this is really weird. You're like, oh, listen to your podcast. I'm like, oh yeah. So I'm excited to tell your story. It's just amazing when I get to do pre-interviews and I'm talking to families and as they're sharing their story, so much of it I identify with and I can think, yeah, I've been through that or yeah, I would do that. Your story is so selfless and so amazing that I was left reeling. I was thinking, could I do that? Would I do that? I mean, what you went through, Nelia, to bring this little girl home is amazing. And the things that you were doing also in foster care at the same time, it's just unbelievable what you and your husband have committed to and gone through to grow your family. So I'm excited to tell the story. Let's start in 2013. You have one biological baby. Your husband's name is Kelsey and you guys moved to Tennessee. Yes, we moved to Tennessee and right away we were talking about adopting we talked about adoption, you know, before we got married, but after Harper was born, she was about six months old. We said, okay, it's going to be a process. So let's get started now. But at that time, the country that we were interested in, India had changed some regulations. So we no longer qualified. And so we just were so discouraged by that, but we wanted to do something. So we started looking into what can we do here in America, in Tennessee. And we learned about foster care. We really did not even know anything about it. We didn't know anybody that fostered, but we were so excited that there was this opportunity to really serve the kids in our backyards. So we started fostering and we got our first placement when Harper was 17 months old and I was actually seven months pregnant with our second baby. Wow. And so you said yes to a boy? A 10-year-old ten, ten boy, yes. I'm going to call him L. Okay. On the show. 
a 10-year-old boy, were you looking to do foster care to adopt? No, we were definitely not. We were just so passionate about international adoption and we just had our mindset on international adoption, but we wanted to help people, children here. And, you know, I was also really stuck on birth order. I really wanted to keep birth order. Mm -hmm. And so we got a 10 year old boy, didn't even cross my mind, but two weeks after he was in our home, we were laying in bed and I was just like, I could totally adopt this boy. I mean, I could see him in our family forever. I love him. And Kelsey felt the exact same way. So at that point, birth order really just went out the window. Do you think it helped that your children were little as well? You know, your oldest was not aware that they were the oldest necessarily. And so that would have worked in that situation. Yeah, they didn't know anything different. Our son was born and thought that L was his older brother. He really did not know a different world. I do have to say a caveat. There are many people who choose to bump birth order and their children are older and it works. It works. And then there are a lot of statistics that say don't do it. So it is something to really consider. But you fell in love with this little boy and you wanted him to be in your family forever. How did he feel? He just fit right in. You know, he was very shy, very timid. Right away, he was just cleaning all the time. He was trying to help all the time. We're like, what is he doing? And it just felt so sad. It felt like he was trying to keep his place in our family. And he fit so well. You know, he was so kind. And we just could not imagine not having him at that point. I do understand, though, why people choose not to break birth order. I think you have to really go situation by situation. Some children are, you know, you don't know until they're in your home how they're going to act. So with fostering, it's a really unique way where they're in your home. You get to have a long period of time to see how they fit with your kids, with your routine. Mm -hmm. And so with this situation, we just saw it fit perfectly. But when you're taking kind of a blind leap, say with an older child internationally, I don't know if I could do that. Mm -hmm. Because you really don't know how it's all going to fit together. You really don't know how the match is going to play out. And that is very challenging. And so in that case, my advice would be to follow that don't bump birth order rule just in general. And if you decide to do it, just know that you might need some extra help and therapy bringing that child in and everybody adjusting just to just a little bit of advice. You don't have to follow my advice, but hey, you know, might as well throw it out there, right? Because I don't want anybody to get in a situation like we were in where we decided, oh, love conquers all. And we brought a little boy right in between our children. And it it just did not work. It did not work. And it bumped the birth order. And my daughter was spinning out of control. And he was confused at his order. I mean, it was just very difficult. So That being said, in this case, you knew it was going to work. Was he adoptable? Yes, he was. He was open for adoption. There was no one in the picture. He came from relatives who were abusing him. And mom was out of the picture for almost 10 years. Dad was out of the picture for 10 years. He was in prison. So we just thought this was going to be a really easy case. Like this adoption is going to happen in six months, you know, (laughs) Right. And And you were new in the foster care world. Yes. We were so naive to how things really work in foster care. We really got a 
big reality check that reunification is number one. And they really do see adoption as almost like a failure in their system, which is really sad. But this mm. is how how it is. They want to always do every effort possible to reunify, which I understand. I don't, right. I right. don't ever want to... I don't ever want to interfere with a birth child being with their biological parent if they're safe and if they can take care of their child for sure. Okay. So birth mom's been gone for 10 years and dad is where? In jail. He's in jail. And they were supposed to try to terminate his rights while he was in jail. So they had plenty of time to do that. It was already close to two years at that point where they were trying to terminate his rights in jail. They had lost track of him because he had been switched to a different facility. And so nothing ever came of it. And we were just so naive to the whole process that we just went along with whatever we were told and just waited. And court came and went and there was another review. There was another delay. This paperwork wasn't turned in. We just didn't know what to expect. So we were like, okay. Dad comes out of jail, decides, I want to parent this boy. He's my only biological son, and I'm going to fight for him. Wait a second. At that point, were you thinking, there's no way? I mean, it's great that he wants his son, but there's no way that he could provide for a child or that this could be a possibility. I mean, I was in absolute shock. After crying for like a week straight, and just being so upset because we had already envisioned this child, a part of our family. This is how it's going to be. We just did not even know that this was a possibility, that this could happen, that a parent can be out of the picture for 10 years from jail and then pop in and they can get their child. I did not know that happens. And so at first, you know, we were very hurt and upset by the situation. But again, we, we always told ourselves that we want to help families be together. So if his dad can do what he needs to do to get his son back, we are going to support him and we're going to help him as much as we can. And so Elle never heard us say anything negative about his dad. You know, we always, when we told him, we waited to tell him that his dad was going to fight for him because we didn't know if it was actually going to happen. But the dad did make reasonable efforts to see him and to do what he could. And so when we told Elle, he was really excited. And that really just broke our hearts because mm. we did not think that that would happen. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it breaks my heart for you and it breaks my heart for him, right? Because he's waiting for his parents to come back. Right. And yet he, I'm sure he loved you deeply as well. How did he change after that? Well, we noticed a significant change around this time where he was just ready. He was ready to go to his dad. He was ready to start that new life. And we realized that this is what he was waiting for all along because he didn't want to get adopted. I missed that minor detail. This whole time we were telling him, like, you're going to be part of our family. We want to adopt you. He was never excited about that. He was never really into that idea. And we just always felt like that was part of his trauma. That was part of everything we went through. But then we realized it was really because he was holding out hope for his dad, which of course we understood what child wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And what about his mom? So at that same time, the dad was fighting for within a month, <laughs> that same time the dad decided that he was going to fight for Elle 
the social worker says, well, we still have to find mom so, before we can terminate her rights. We have to publish in the newspaper. That takes three months, and we have to do that a few times. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to put on my FBI hat. I'm going to find this lady, and we're going to terminate her rights, and I am going to save the day. And so I was so proud of myself and so excited, like, I'm going to do this, and maybe there's still a chance that we can adopt him. Because who knows if the dad is going to follow through with his plan at this point. So I find mom and I send all the information to the social worker. And then, I don't know, maybe it was a few days later that the social worker tells me that the mom decided that she's going to try to fight for him also. What? Yeah. At that point, I was like, is this even my life? What is happening? (laughs) I just can't believe that. But that happens a lot in foster care where you kind of walk away and say, I can't believe this. I just can't believe this. Logically, how can a person who has been gone for 10 years or a father or parent that's been in prison or jail come out and parent? And how would the state say that that's fine and reunification is even a possibility? I mean, your head is just like, this can't be happening. Is that what you guys were doing? Did it seem unfair? We were just shocked. We got a huge, that was our huge reality check right there was, okay, this is how it works. So basically parents can be gone for a limited amount of time and they can still have a chance to get their child back. No matter what the mom had never made any effort to see him up until that point. And so we just couldn't believe that this was really happening and that it was actually moving towards possibly reunification. But that whole time L was leaning towards his dad. He was wanting his dad to fight for him. I don't think he really thought his mom would follow through because of the things he heard about her from his relatives. He just always kind of was hoping out for his dad. So that Mm -hmm. was his dream come true. Did he disconnect from your family? You know, at that point, we really saw a huge shift where he just withdrew. He was just no longer present with us. And we just noticed a significant change. He did not care about consequences anymore. He didn't care about anything really at that point school you know he started getting into fights at school he started getting into fights on the bus he didn't care about what was going to happen because he knew he was going to go back with his dad which is ultimately all he wanted did his dad agree to what he had to do to get him back I mean was his dad following the plan to get him back was he doing what he needed to do yes the dad did make reasonable effort. You know, he had a good job and he was working really, really hard. And I will say when somebody gets out of jail, it's really hard to find a job, especially after 10 years, nobody's going to hire you. So we really had a lot of respect for him that he was, you know, working hard and keeping his head on straight. So at that point we were starting to really support the dad and rooting for him as hard as it was for us. And as hurtful as it was for us to see L choose his dad over and over and over again, we were happy that the dad was making an effort and that this, you know, would be a good outcome maybe for Elle in the future. But there was one thing that they had required home study for the father. And that's really where things kind of shifted. And the father just did not want to do that. And so he actually at that point surrendered his rights. And that's when I mean, another shift happened in the family where he was withdrawn and excited to go to his dad. But this, this was different. 
this was just, he didn't want to be a part of our family. And we felt like we were hanging on to this child and almost forcing him to be a part of our family. Mm-hmm. But his dad surrendered rights. That's heartbreaking yeah. for, for Al, I'm sure. So disappointing. Yeah, it's definitely, I can't imagine what he went through. He, I mean, any amount of heartbreak we went through is not even in comparison mm-hmm. to what he went through. You wanted to grow your family still, though. We did. So through that process, even though we were going through all that turmoil and how unpredictable things were going back and forth, we still really wanted to pursue adoption. And, you know, we still had international adoption on our hearts and things would come up one thing after another. You know, we were ready to jump in and then maybe we got pregnant or we needed to move or something. And so Kelsey, for my 30th birthday, February 2016, he gifted me a home study, which is uh-huh. like funny for somebody who doesn't understand. But right, but for those of us who ever. are obsessed with adoption, that is the best gift ever. <laughs> Were you so excited? I was so excited. It was literally the best gift in the world. And I, I mean, he knew that's all I wanted for my birthday. That's all I wanted to was to finally start the adoption process. Okay, so you find an agency and you know you want to go to India. Yeah. So then a few weeks after that, we were at a family gathering and my oldest five-year-old daughter, she comes up to me in front of everybody and she points to my belly and she goes, there's a baby in there. And my stomach dropped. I'm like, why would she say such a thing? It just felt like (laughs) maybe this was a premonition (laughs) for the future. I just laughed it off like, okay, maybe I eat ate too many cheesecakes or um, (laughs) a little bit too much to eat. That was funny, Harper. Go run along. But a few weeks after that, I just had this feeling like I couldn't get that out of my head. Why did she say that? And so just a few weeks after that, I took a pregnancy test. And so we were pregnant with number three. Oh, my goodness. In the middle of doing a home study? Yes, in the middle of our home study. So I had to call the caseworker. And tell her, hey, can you make a slight adjustment to our home study? (laughs) And do they allow you to pursue adoption while you're pregnant? You know, most agencies have a strict regulation against it. And I understand why. Because a lot of things can come up. You know, some people have high-risk pregnancies or their emotions might change during pregnancy. So a lot of agencies won't work with you until your baby's maybe six months old or a year old, depending. But we knew this agency for a few years. I had been researching agencies for a few years and knew that they were very flexible and open with a lot of things. They were more lenient. And that's actually why we chose them. They were more lenient about family size and just the family dynamic. Did your husband want to pursue adoption at that time as well? I came to him and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening again. Every time we want to start the adoption, something happens. We were excited, but this is just so not expected. And I said, what do you want to do? And he's like, of course, let's keep going. Why, why would this stop us? Oh, and I was like, okay, okay. I guess, I guess it's fine. Oh my (laughs) goodness. We have to take a break. At this point, you have two biological children. You still have Elle with you. Now you're pregnant and you're waiting to be matched in India. This is an exciting story. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. 
Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Nellia Canfield from Tennessee, and she's telling us this amazing story of her house getting many children. She has two biological at this point in the story. She has Elle, which is a foster child that she thought she was going to adopt, but looks like they're having a hard time with his parents who wanted to fight for him. She finds out she's pregnant in the middle of doing a home study for an adoption in India. Nelia, this is a lot going on. (laughs) It is a lot. How was your pregnancy? it. It was good. It was good, except whenever the time finally came, to have baby number three, it was little boy Gibson. It was a really dramatic event, and I almost died. The nurse told Kelsey to prepare for me to to not make it and to pray because things were just not going good. I was in the operating room for over two hours, and they had to give me three blood transfusions. So that was just a really stressful time for our family, but we made it out, and Gibson is perfectly healthy awesome boy. (laughs) So we made it out of that. Okay. And Gibson is just an awesome, healthy little boy. And that's all that matters. And then so two months after that in February, just a few days before my birthday, 2017, got an email and the subject line said referral. And I just remember (gasps) my stomach dropping and I just could not open the email fast enough. And we see our little girl. So I run to Kelsey and I'm like, we got the referral. You know, I'm squealing around the house, literally. (laughs) And reading the documents and the documents say she's 13 months old. Her birthday is 1 slash 11 slash 2016, making her 13 months. And so, you know, we were so excited. We're thinking that this is perfect gap in between the kids. But I remember having a moment of intense sadness at that time when I read how old she was, because I remember feeling, okay, she spent a whole year without parents and without love. And she's going to spend probably another year of us fighting to get her and waiting. So that made me really sad that she was going to be two by the time she gets home. Okay, wait, I have many questions for you. Mm -hmm. Last time we did a story on India you could only adopt older children. So is India open now to infants and babies? Yes. In 2015, they had lifted the restrictions, and now they allow Americans to adopt healthy babies. Really? That's going to open a huge door for a lot of families. Huge. There's, it's a huge program right now, and it's really predictable and like stable. It's a good, good program. But they have a lot of referrals for girls because there's just such a climate in India where girls are just not valued the same as boys. And it's so extreme that gender ultrasounds are not even allowed when you're really? in India. Why? 
because so many people will abort their child if they find out it's a girl. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so many times in the villages, this happens where if they are, because you can't get an ultrasound, you can't afford it, a girl will be born and they will actually kill the girl because they cannot afford to have mm-hmm. another girl. Oh my gosh. Similar to Africa as well. It's just heartbreaking. Okay, so you guys decide that you want to go to India. I didn't realize that you could get an infant. And then when you find out she's 13 months, you're going to bump birth order again. Yes, I guess (laughs) slightly. So we got then we got a video of her. But in this video, she's not sitting up. She's not even crawling. And I mean, I'm just overly stressed about what does this mean? Like, what if she's never going to walk? And I just started thinking like, she's clearly not healthy. She's only seven pounds and she's 13 months. And I'm staying up late at night researching like different things that it could possibly be, you know, cerebral palsy and all these things. And I remember telling Kelsey, I'm like, what if she's never going to walk? And, and he said to me, well, she still needs a family. And that just spoke to me so much that, okay, I'm worrying too much about this. God sent us this referral and we just need to trust him. He knows what we need in our family. And as soon as that happened, I was going over the medicals again, sending them off to some people to try to review them. We had already officially accepted the referral, but I noticed in one of the, just one of the forms, it said three months old. And I just said, that is so weird. Why is it saying she's three months old on this form when all the other dates write January 11, 2016? Mm -hmm. So long story short, I called the agency like 500 times that day and they didn't answer. (laughs) Turns out India writes their dates differently than we do in America. Oh, right, (laughs) right. The world writes their dates differently than America. the whole world apparently. I did not know this. Oh, so she was young. Just a minor detail that we missed. <laughs> so, so she, she was, was just a baby. Three months old Aww. instead of 13 months old. And I was shocked. Another shock, you know. So that made her just six weeks older than Gibson. Oh he was my two goodness. months old. Oh, my goodness. That is exciting and overwhelming all at the same time. <laughs> yes, for sure. So then what's the next step in bringing her home? How long do you have to wait after you're matched? I mean, I'd be dying, but then you have a baby in your arms, right? So you're like, oh, I have this baby and I want to go get that baby. I mean, how are you balancing all of that? It was hard. I mean, thinking about her after you get a picture, but I was so focused on just praying for her, knowing that I'm probably the only person in the world praying for her. So I really tried to focus on that. And I was so busy with the paperwork. I was dragging my baby, my toddler, and then, you know, my older daughter to the post office, to the courthouse doing all these papers. And I mean, I was busy with that. So time kind of did fly by, but we didn't get an update on her for six months after that. And I was hounding the agency. I was like, why aren't we getting an update? I need to know she's okay. So I ended up finding a friend of a friend on the ground who we paid to travel to her orphanage, kind of behind the agency's back. Ooh. Yes, that's just, you know, I just get crazy and I just have to know that she's okay. (laughs) So I'm sure the agency was not thrilled about that. No, they were not thrilled with me throughout the process because I was just, you know, I was ready to get my baby home and I wanted to make sure she was safe. And so what did you so, find out? Well, at that point, he had just went to check on her and she was okay. At that same time, we got 
a call about a sibling group of three and we accepted. We're like, why not? We have the room. Sure. You know, it'll like through foster be- care through foster care. Oh my yes, goodness. Okay. So call. most states do not allow you to pursue both. You can't pursue adoption and go through the foster care system. You have to have right. one home study that, you know, says what, the, what you're doing. You can't do both. So this is crazy. You just yes, said yes to true. three and you still have L, right? Yes. And the loophole is the reason we were able to continue an international adoption is because we had L because they did not want to move him during the process. They're like, well, he's been with you for four years at this point. We're not going to move him, you know? So they actually allowed us to keep our home open because of that. And so we got a call about the siblings. And so we were just like, okay, it'll probably only be till October of that year. So we're like, oh, probably just a few months. It's fine. We have the room. What's a few more, you know? Right. And you don't like sleep, so it doesn't matter. good. (laughs) But these kids were so wild. They were just, we love them to death. But goodness, they were wild children. (laughs) So just a month later, we had that same friend travel to Millie's orphanage. You named her Millie? Yes. So that's what we ended up coming up with the name Millie. And we kept her birth name, Versha. So we kept both. Oh, that's so cute. Okay. So Millie, she's over in India. And how old is she now when your friend goes and checks on her again? So she's just turned a year old. My friend goes there to bring her a birthday cake. Oh. And things were pretty good. You know, things seemed really good by the videos and she was always dressed up in really pretty dresses. And we were just paying this friend constantly to please go visit her again. It was like a three hour journey. We're like, oh, can you please go? So during this time is when Elle's dad surrendered his rights. And so we were dealing with that, you know, behind the scenes too. And that was hard. And he was getting into more fights, getting into more trouble. And then just a month later in November, the beginning of November, I was, you know, obsessing over anything I could find out about this orphanage. Our agency was not giving us any extra information. They were not giving us any updates. I was having to pay somebody to go get me updates. I found a YouTube video about 11 babies dying in an orphanage in nearby city of where her orphanage was. And I'm like, this has to be her orphanage. There is not a lot of orphanages there. And turns out it was her orphanage and 11 babies had died there. So of course we panicked and we're thinking, oh my gosh, does this mean we need to jump on a plane and go there right now? Like, what does this mean? Wait, did you also think, are one of those my baby? Yes. Oh yes. I remember thinking that for sure. So that friend who (laughs) I was my he's our good friend now, you know, he was running back and forth every, every week, pretty much to check on her. He's like, she's okay. She's fine. But yes, this is the orphanage that had the babies die. And then our agency said, no, no, it's a different orphanage. And I'm like, well, I actually have someone on the ground. Right. But But you didn't say that, that right? Right. No. (laughs) So what do they die from? They died from malnutrition. (gasps) They actually died from not enough formula is what the articles were saying, that they didn't have enough formula. They were mixing them because there wasn't enough. So at that point, I was like, okay, we have to send them formula. We have to, you know, do what we can to help. And so I was like, well, maybe we can get our friends and family to send some money too, to send, because this was a trusted friend at that point. I knew he would be honest with the money and I knew it would get to the orphanage. So actually 
Facebook friends and family, we collected $700 to bring to this orphanage. So when our friend traveled to deliver this formula, he calls me and he goes, "Um, I have some urgent news. Call me. This is like two in the morning, you know, different time zones. He's like, Millie's not at the orphanage. They're telling me she's at the hospital. And I mean, I'm just like crying. Like, how can this be after these babies die? You know, I'm so worried about her, obviously. So we find out after going back and forth that she's actually in the hospital for malnutrition and infection. They're saying she's very low weight and they just want to keep her there to, you know, make sure that she's okay. And how old is your baby Gibson? Did he turn a year? Yeah. So he was almost a year. So he wasn't a year yet. He was still 10 months old at that point. In November, he was 11 months old. So whenever we found out that 11 babies died, of course, we were like, okay, should we jump on a plane? But we're like, we have seven kids in the house now. We have four foster kids, our three birth kids. How is this even going to work? What are we going to do? Time is not on our side. And we had two families from the same agencies whose babies died in the orphanage oh before they gosh. could make it home. And so we definitely didn't feel like that can't happen to us. We right. knew it could. But your agency was also saying, like, don't worry. That's yes, not the same. Saying, yeah, orphanage. So they're worry. not protecting your child. I'm yeah. sure that's how you felt. Right. And they were going to, it was going to stretch on for a few more months before we got the court orders to have a court date. It was still going to be a process. But we had the most important paperwork, which is in India, it's called NOC, where they gave us the permission to move forward with legally adopting her. That was like a big paper that we got that approval. And so when we found out that she was in the hospital, that was exactly the prayer that we had been waiting for. We're like, God, send us a sign. Let us know what to do. We, ha- we can't just leave seven kids, but we don't know what to do. And so when we found out, we're like, okay, one of us has to go. You know, so we talked back and forth, which one of us is going to go to India for an extended amount of time to foster her until a court date. So while that was happening, while we were trying to decide when to fly to India, we requested a meeting with a social worker for Elle. And she actually was able to meet us relatively quickly. And we explained, you know, that we really think that he will do better in a home where he's the oldest or the only child. He is simply not thriving in our house. He doesn't want to be here and he doesn't want to be adopted. So we feel like we're forcing this child into our family and he's just not doing well. And so we told the social worker that and she, you know, she was great and understanding. And then the next day I flew to India, December 6th is when we got a one-way ticket for me and I had to leave my nursing baby. Oh my gosh. And six other kids, seven total with my husband who had help, you know, had family come in from Missouri and Georgia and everybody was trying to really help. Um, But it was really hard because I knew I was going to miss my baby's first birthday and I was going to miss my daughter's fifth birthday on the 15th. And I knew I was going to miss Christmas and New Year's. I mean, I knew all those things, but things were just so intense that there was no doubt of what needed to happen. Of course, we're going to go and do everything possible to get her as soon as possible and keep her safe and feed her, you know. How were the other kids handling that their mom was leaving? Were they on board? 
they were still so young that they didn't understand that I was leaving. So that was really hard. My daughter, she's so sweet. She was always so excited about having a sister. And throughout the whole process, she was saying, I miss Millie. I miss my sister. Uh, and so she was so excited. She really wanted to go, but she was great. The other ones, you know, they were still younger. They didn't understand, which was really hard. Talk to me about the day that you leave your children. Were you just bawling on the way to the airport? I wasn't. You know, I was so numb at that point about everything that was happening, how everything was just falling on us at once. I was, I just feel like that was the word to describe how I felt. I felt so emotionally like alert and drained at the same time. I felt so guilty that I was leaving my baby who was nursing and not sleeping through the night. But I knew that this is absolutely what any mother would do for her child. This is, this is our baby, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is what God does for us. He leaves the 99 for the one. And this was just that moment where I, we we realize, absolutely, this is what we need to do. No matter how hard it is, our hardest day is going to be not even a glimpse of her hardest day. Mm-hmm. When you landed, did you meet the guy who... Yes. Okay. So you yes. had a translator and you had somebody there. I mean, I just... Yes. This is where I'm like, I could not do this by myself in <laughs> India. And hopefully this I mean, guy I is normal. <laughs> Yes, I know. But I had some friends who had went through the Indian process who had, tr- you know, who trusted him and who knew him. And I really trusted them. So they really felt good about him. So I trusted them enough to go in the car with him. Of course, he's a little bit nervous, but I was a mom on a mission. Yeah. And I was like, get me my baby. Yes. So you get there and they won't let you see her. No, they had to get her from the hospital. They wouldn't let us go to the hospital. And of course, I wanted to see how she's being taken care of at the hospital. And so we waited like three hours and the hospital was just a few minutes walk, which is funny. So then they bring her out and they had her covered in like a shawl, you know, like a head covering. They had her covered and they uncovered her. And it was just like slow motion. (laughs) I just couldn't believe this was happening. And she was wearing this huge dress. and She started crying of course, which I had prepared for. I'm like, of course you're going to cry. You don't know who I am, but I'm your mommy. And um, so that was great. You know, that was really surreal. And you had emotionally prepared for her to not come to you. You knew it was going to be time where you got used to each other. Yes. Yes. I definitely did enough research and homework to know that it's probably a good thing if she doesn't come to me, (laughs) you know, um, I'm, the first white person she sees and I'm sure that's terrifying to her and I just I was prepared for her to not want to come to me and so that was totally okay with me I I wasn't hurt by that I completely understood I was more just hurt that she was so scared did they say that she was done with her hospital time or did she have to go back to return to the hospital every single day okay week. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were there just to visit her and get to know her in the hospital. No, they would bring her from the hospital <gasps> to the orphanage. Oh, they didn't let you see the hospital. Didn't that no, make you wouldn't. feel like, what kind of hospital is this? Yes. So of course, you know, I researched it. <laughs> right. Found another YouTube video. Yeah, so I found out horror stories about this hospital, oh, no. which I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I didn't research it. But yeah, it was a terrible hospital. And so every single day I waited for her and I would spend about nine hours at the orphanage just holding her. Just I would have her in a wrap. I would feed her with my hands and we would just bond so well. And it was just it was a really surreal time. 
Were the people in the orphanage nice to you? Yeah, they were super nice. They were so sweet. And I definitely saw things that really... um, You can't unsee. Haunt me, I would say. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, just the children were afraid of toys, the babies. And that really stuck out to me. And they never went outside, ever. And I asked through the translator, why aren't you guys taking the children outside? And she said... We don't want them to get dirty because it was like mud. It wasn't like grass or anything. So these babies never went outside. And that's the reason why Millie had rickets because she had never been outside. And she still had a huge soft spot on her head. Wow. So so she wasn't developing. No, she was so malnourished and so physically behind that it was just, it was haunting to see not just her, but the other kids that were being left behind, you know, that it felt like at that moment, really heavy being there because I'm bringing one child home to a family, but it really felt like a drop in the ocean. Like there's just, what can I do? And so that's why I'm excited to share on the podcast because I really hope this story can inspire others to go to India or go wherever their heart is led to. How many babies were in the orphanage? There were 50 babies on the top floor. And then there was probably like five toddlers and then there was about 40, 46 older girls. So about 100. But the babies that were on the top floor, they also wouldn't let me go upstairs. They wouldn't let me check on that. I really wanted to go up there. I was really trying to sneak up there <laughs> many times. But I never heard them cry. You know, there was 50 babies up there. And I mm-hmm. never heard crying. And that to me just, mm-hmm. you know, that's hard just to imagine what life they live after especially learning that so many of them died. Did you want to just take them all home? I mean, were you thinking, I just, I need all of these babies. That's what I'd be. Yeah. I mean, there's thoughts that ran through my mind. Like, how could I sneak them through immigration? Like, how can I explain (laughs) this away? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it was really hard to see that you're really, what you're doing feels very small, you know? Because there's so many girls there. Can I please come with the older girls? Can I come with you? Can you take me? And it was just, it was really heartbreaking to see their life. Yeah, that would be so hard. So the objective was to go to court to get permission to foster her. And then at that point, you could take her out of the orphanage. You had to stay in India, but you could parent her wherever you wanted within that country. Yes, and that is actually one of the only countries, I believe, that allows you to do that, where you can travel and sign your child out of the orphanage and foster them until a court date. So people who have a flexible schedule, that's a great option. So after a week, they finally let us, they released us. And there were some issues where they were kind of dragging their feet and not wanting to release the paperwork. And But I mean, I was there as soon as the doors opened and I wouldn't leave until the doors were closed. I was, I was pretty persistent where they were just like, get out of here lady. Right. And stop trying to sneak upstairs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And once you left, what did you do? Take her to a hotel? Yeah. So I got to take her to a hotel and it felt so weird. And we walked into the room and it was just me and one child. And I will be honest, it felt unnatural. It felt so strange. She didn't know me. I didn't know her, but I'm supposed to love her unconditionally. And it really made me realize that this is going to be a journey with bonding and this is going to be a process. Like it's not always instant and that's okay. 
And I think that's when I realized we have to be really intentional because this is not always natural. You know, we talk about the child being used to the parent, right? So the the child is scared. The child doesn't know you. But we also have to get to know the child. There is attachment on our side as well. And we have to attach to the child and work with the child and get used to the child. And, you know, sometimes both of us are afraid. Sometimes both of us feel confused or emotions that you didn't expect. That was one of the things when you told me that in our pre-interview that really resonated with me is that you looked at her and thought, this is, this is different for me too. It's not yeah. what you expected. Yeah, it's definitely not what I expected because I'm a very like maternal person and I just thought it would be instant. And it wasn't. It was something I had to be intentional about. I had to kiss her and say, I love you when it felt so unnatural. But I think that's what you have to do. You have to keep doing what maybe feels weird or unnatural. So tell us about that first night because you had such a sad story about what she was doing to comfort herself and feed herself. Yeah, me and her would sleep in the same bed, which was great. I was so excited to bond with her. So I would wrap her up right next to me. And I woke up maybe a few nights in from the sound of hair ripping. And I just jumped out of bed and I turned the lights on because I just, it was such a distinct sound. And I look in her hand and she had pulled out like a clump of hair and was trying to eat it. And I mean, I just started crying. Mm. I just, I couldn't believe that this is what this child has been having to go through. And it just, it felt, it just felt so heavy for me. It was just so hard to see that reality right in my face Mm -hmm. you know what did she have to live to feel like yeah and to not even she didn't cry she didn't make a noise Mm. and she continued to do that I would catch her almost every single time right before it would happen and I would you know redirect her and you know she doesn't do it at all anymore but some of the things that she would do just it just really breaks your heart. And once you see that, you can't unsee it. You can't Mm -hmm. pretend like it doesn't exist. There are other kids doing things just like that to cope with their reality, to cope with their hurt. If you are listening to this and you don't feel like jumping on a plane and bringing (laughs) one of these little girls home, I mean, this story is so moving. Every time you tell it, I'm like, I have to go. I have to go. Can't wait for my husband to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Send him and have a long conversation with him. But I mean, just that thought that there are children all over the world, not just in India, that that need love and need food. Simple things like food and nourishment and milk. We take that so for granted. Clean water. I mean, it's just, it just, my mind is going a million miles an hour right now because it's just a beautiful story of what you did for this little girl and that you left it all behind for her and that you're spending this time realizing that the world is so much bigger than what we have here and that there is a need, a great need. And so how long did you actually spend in the country before they released you to bring her home? Almost six weeks. Wow. Did your husband come back? Yes. So he traveled for court. He only stayed for a week. And I mean, that was great having him for the week. But I, the whole time I was just like thinking about when he has to leave, but he was doing really great bonding with her. He was just obsessed with her and she instantly bonded to him, which is interesting because she, she wouldn't go to any other men 
you know, mm. but she really just clung to him. And then he was gone. And mm. what was it like? I mean, we don't have very much time, but I just can't imagine day in and day out. I would be afraid to be in a different country. Not only, you know, the anxiety of leaving your family, but what did you do in the day? I was always out and about. I just, I couldn't just stay at the hotel. I just, even though my mom was like, please stay in the hotel. Don't go anywhere. I would always go to the mall almost every single day. We would go, I would wrap her up in my wrap and we would just go through the towns and see things. And we would bring bananas to children that were living in these shacks. And we would just try to see her country, try to see the beauty the pain and just all of it. You know, I really didn't want to be stuck in a hotel room just because of fear. I was very situationally aware where I felt like I was never out past dark. You know, I was always mm -hmm. in like really populated areas. I definitely stuck out like a sore thumb, but mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't want to miss the opportunity of being present in such an incredible country. There's a lot of hurt there, but there's so much beauty too. Looking back, could you say that you were thankful for that six weeks to be in her country and just with her? Oh my goodness. Of course. It was such a, such a life-changing opportunity because like I said, once you see the things you see, you just, you can't go back living the way you were you know that your worst day is somebody else's best day. And that's hard to not live differently because of that. Mm -hmm. When you came back, how were the rest of the kids? Were they excited? Oh, how was your baby were, that you left? Gibson. They were so excited. But Gibson, he was um, he was a bit jealous. And he's still a little bit jealous. <laughs> we're still yeah. working on that. We're still working on that relationship. He's like, so you took say, my mom for six weeks. Yeah. So I will say, I do understand why they don't recommend twinning. I get it. But mm -hmm we're really like intentional with spending one-on-one -on -one time with each of them. You know, there's moments where he's so sweet to her and then there's moments where he wants to like push her down. And I'm right. Like, no. Right. I mean, that's, that's pretty normal for their ages yeah. too. How is she doing now? She's absolutely incredible. She is just a Canfield. She is such <laughs> a joy to our family. She dances, she sings and she does funny things like, I sleep with a pillow over my head and she puts a pillow over my head, even though she's never seen me do that. Just these little things. Where I'm like, you are just like one of us. You know, she's just such a joy. And my Harper, she's just always wished for a sister and she just adores her. They're just, she's such a little mama to her. And even the middle child Everett, he, he is so nurturing to her and they just really, Gibson's the one where we're like working on. <laughs> right, right. The baby. <laughs> Yeah, the baby. Tell us but, what happened with Al. So when I was in India, we found out that they had found a family who was older, who didn't have any kids. And it was just a perfect fit, which was really surprising because we thought, you know, it would take a lot longer. So a month after we got home, they actually moved, wanted to already do the official move. And then a week after around the same exact time, the siblings were also moved to a different foster family so that they could be reunited with their younger sister. We were willing to take the younger sister, but they were like, well, let's see if we can find a family for all four. Well, you have a lot of kids is what they were thinking. <laughs> yes, you're crazy. <laughs> so they found so, home. So now you're down to four. Yes. Now we only have four kids. Oh my goodness. Easy, what an adventure. Are you done? <laughs> Um, I don't think we'll ever be able to say we're done. I think we're kind of like what you've said before, too. You know, we're actually in 
looking into possibly starting the whole crazy process again, but we're looking into some African countries, possibly Liberia. Wow. And I mean, we would love to adopt through foster care too. We really would. We're waiting for a placement right now, but you know, it's not how you expect. So we're just open. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. What is the one thing you want to say to people? What is the one message? Well, there's so much I want to say, but I will just say God's done so much for us. You know, we can't get hung up on living for ourselves. You know, who are we really serving? Are we serving God or our flesh? And our life in America is just so privileged, so blessed. We have to do more. There's millions of kids who don't have families and we can all do more. All of us. Mm -hmm. I think that's a reminder to us that we're not doing enough and don't look at the mountains, you know, in front of you. Don't look at, oh, I don't have the finances or it's not the right time. It's literally never the right time. I feel like mm -hmm. we're an example of that. But just take the next one step and God will finish what he starts. He always does. If he leads you somewhere, he will finish it. And don't let fear stop you. Amen. That is so good. You're so inspiring. And I do think that everybody plays a role, whether you are adopting or you know someone who is adopting, you can be supportive, you can help, you can be available to to join in our adoption community and to help our community as we grow. Nelia, I love your story. I think that what you've done for this little baby is amazing. And I know that, you know, you probably don't like to hear that because she has blessed your family so much. It's not like you feel like the hero. But to me, yeah. you are. That you went over there you left all your comforts and you left your family, even though you knew they were taken care of here. You went over there for this little girl that needed you. And can you even imagine where she'd be if she wasn't with you? I am going to post all these pictures on Facebook and Instagram. You have to go to Facebook and Instagram. Listen, you have to see this little girl. You have to see these pictures. They're so adorable. And I'm going to post She's a adorable. picture of when, before you got her, it's such a difference. When I saw her little face in the orphanage, my heart broke. My heart broke. She needed a mom and a dad. And on her mm -hmm. face, that is what her face is saying. I mean, it's just a powerful picture. So, Nelia, thank you for being a listener. Thank you for applying. And thank you for taking the time today to tell your story. Oh, April, thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to share our story because I really hope it inspires people to just take the next step. I think it will. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. Remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.